Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 21 through 33 today. And it's a passage of Scripture where Paul addresses submission. Now, it's obvious there's other places we could address it, but Paul specifically addresses it here. And he's specifically using the example of marriage inside of that, and we will, we will talk about that. But Paul is making a greater point here today when, we, when he's referring to this. He's re- making the point about Christ and his bride, the church, where the whole Ephesians 1 till now has been about that. But there's individuals inside of that, right? <laughs> and things we learn and what God is doing in our lives. And there's no doubt if this passage is taken out of context from the rest of the letter to Ephesus, if it is. And most of all, if it's taken out of context of Christ's own example, then this can lead us in a very, very terrible direction of misuse, of cruelty, abuse, Rebellion. And let me say this as we talk about marriage today, just to say this, even though Paul is using this example, we hold singleness from a widow or someone who's never been married or widower. We hold that in such high honor because we know Scripture does. But Paul is using here today the marriage context to help us understand this. Again, and I can't overemphasize, I've said it every week over the last few weeks. We cannot read Ephesians 5 without understanding it is a continuation of Ephesians 1 through 4. Let me just read Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. We don't, I'm not going to put up Ephesians 5 at this time, so don't worry about that. But Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 and 29 through 32. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge, as Paul writing to them, I urge you to live a life worthy, worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Down to verse 29 through 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. You cannot read what I'm about to read to you in Ephesians 5 without knowing that. Can't separate them. Can't separate them. And there's more, and you can go back and read Ephesians 1 through 4 and first part of chapter 5 as we did last week. So let me read this. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Right out of the chute, Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing in water through the word and to and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless in this same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own body he who loves his wife loves himself after all no one would ever hate their own body but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are all mem- we are we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's Paul is quoting here from Genesis 2.24, just so if you want to note that. He just didn't, he's quoting here. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The term reverence there, or or fear, you could, out of the fear of Christ... I, I, the word there is where we get our, uh, uh, the Hebrew word there, or the Greek word there, is the word where we get the word phobia. But the problem with, the, but this is not what this trend, this is phobos. Phobia is I have an a, a unrealistic fear of something. Okay? But phobos, phobos, what it is, is I have a reverence or awe or respect. Out of your awe, A-W-E, out of your respect, out of your reverence for Christ, you don't have any choice but to submit to one another. And ultimately, when I read this passage of Scripture, I realize it may bring up a lot of angst in some people. I got one amen. I hadn't got an amen in weeks, but I got one there. I don't believe you can read this passage of Scripture in context of Ephesians 1 through 4 and part of 5 leading into it without reading this passage of Scripture as a love story. Can't do it. Now, you can take something, but I don't think if you take this and you put it, you, it's a love story. Because it's a love story that's based on Jesus and his bride, the church. John three sixteen and 17, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it, a love story. The 
the marriage, as Paul points out here, signifies to us, is at least as believers, the beauty, and he says the mystery of the union, not only between man and woman, but the union between that mystery of the union that Christ has with his church. And I'll just say this right here. When I look at how culture has redefined marriage, this is what I come back to. Christ looked at the church as his bride. And the Apostle Paul states here that marriage should reflect that picture. In Matthew 19, Jesus... So let's go there. He's being questioned about divorce. What does he say in Matthew 19, 4 through 6? He says, have you not read from the beginning? The creator made them male and female uh, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And let me say this up front. I'm saying a lot of disclaimers here. Trying to keep myself from getting shot at. No. You know I love you and you know I've, it's scripture. We just got to gotta plow right through it, right? But let me say this. We believe, and the question can be asked, are there contextual scriptures that might limit women, for instance, in certain circumstances? Sure. I believe they're there. But we have stated before here many times, and I want to be real clear. We believe it is society, contextually, that oppresses women, not Christ, the Bible, or the church. Nazarenes and the holiness movement, of which we are a part of, have always, from day one, recognized the spiritual equality of women. Some of our earliest preachers and evangelists of this holiness movement we've been a part of, and I, I hope it's a movement. It needs to be a movement. Our culture needs this movement. They were women that stood up and led this church. Compassionate ministries led by women, preaching and evangelists. We believe that the Old Testament and New Testament recognize women in leadership roles. So we just kind of move on. We assume that. Some struggle with it. I get it. And you can find scriptures again where maybe contextually you go, oh, in that situation, yes. But for us, it is society that does it. So when you hear me today, I've got an awesome wife, three daughters, and two granddaughters, man. I believe they can be anything God has called them to be. But I also believe there is an order. This is not chaos. We do not serve a God of chaos. We serve a God of order. Wives are called to submit to their husbands. And if I stopped there and walked out today, man, you would feel pretty good, wouldn't you, men, if you were there? (laughs) But husbands are called to die for their wives. period in the likeness of Christ
Genesis 3. Who gets called out? Where are you? (laughs) Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? (laughs) That's one of the most profound questions of all time, right? I just like saying the word. The reason I brought it in there. It's not even in my notes. It's not called the Eve nature. It's called the Edemic nature, right? For one man's sin, the rest of us pay the price. But for one man's death, the rest of us get a chance to be restored. Not just his death, but his resurrection. The Greek word for submission here always signals obedience to God-given authority. Again, this is critical and non-negotiable. Jesus submitted to the authority of his parents. The demons were subject to the disciples. We as citizens are subject to government authorities, per the word. The universe is subject to Christ, we believe. Christ is subject to God the Father. And we could keep going. But I realize this concept today goes against our Western culture. It just does. And I realize again, as we said earlier, it's been abused. But we all would agree today we submit to our health at times, to circumstances that we cannot do anything about. We hopefully submitted to our parents, at least to some degree. We submit to a boss at a workplace and to the rules of that place. We submit again to the laws of the land of driving home. Some of you do, some of you don't. We submit to teachers and the test and the process of education. If we watch a ball team that submits to their leadership and some idea of vision of what a, of this concept of how we play ball, when it works, it's a beautiful thing. So we submit to our coaches, we submit to our mentors who have our best interest at heart. We will all submit to death unless Christ comes back before. You are going to submit. That's not a question for today because that's not even possible for you not to submit. The question is, will you do it with the mind of Christ? Because there will be people you will submit to that are not followers of Christ, but Christ will call you to submit. Let me say this. If your need or compulsion is to control, then this is going to be a very difficult message for you. Some of you are wired that way. You don't know how to get it. It's just. 
But on the other hand, and I'm going to talk to some husbands here, and I'm going to talk more to you in just a minute. If you're willing to not just have any responsibility or laziness as far as leading your home and allow all the accountability to be on someone else, that's not submission either. Okay, that's not submission. That's laziness. That's disobedience. And there is a grand canyon of difference between willful submission and forced submission. I mean, we can look back, those who are old enough to remember Jonestown. And Jim Jones, you look at that, even from a spiritual standpoint, we would look at that submission, and not only was it wrong, it was so misused and it was horrible. That's an extreme, I get it. Even if they were willful, it was misused. I believe, and I can say this for me personally, someone who's had to lead in all, in all kinds of circumstances, sometimes very difficult circumstances, be, be a leader of my home, be a leader as a father and a husband, but in church and in ball teams and different things in my life, I've been put in that position of leading. I desire to follow people. I desire to submit to leaders who I can follow. As a believer, and as a, as, a, as a part of the body of Christ, it should be your desire to follow people who, as Paul says, follow my examples, I follow the example of Christ. Follow people who are committed to following Christ. But then again, sometimes you're going to have to submit to them anyway. Very difficult for many of you, I would guess. As I've shared with you before, the greatest lesson early on in me following uh, as, a, as a pastor six months in, and I won't get into all the details, but, but my, my lead pastor had me do something. I was six months in. I was 33 years old, had three kids, been working in the secular world for 14 years, and he asked me to submit to something that I, was not immoral at all, just a way of being accountable to him. I thought it was ridiculous, and to this day, I haven't changed my mind on that. I have not. But I went home that day six months in, left a great job six months in as a youth pastor there, and he telling me to do something. And in the middle of that, and it was about how I kept accountability of all my hours, and the Holy Spirit impressed on me, Kurt, this is not between you and Harley Patterson, who I dearly love to this day, but this is between me and you. Will you submit? greatest lesson I have ever learned as a leader because I realize in order to become a great leader I've got to first learn how to be a great follower and that means submitting we don't like the language we don't like the words I've submitted to authorities inside the church of the Nazarene at times where I did not think it is even fair but God called me to honor The authority put over me. So I'm not talking to you today about some, you know, a theory for you. I've tried to live this out in my own life. I've never been a wife. Okay, that's one I can't step into. (laughs) 
But I've taken the other part serious. It's not mindless submission. It's not mindless. It's not wimpy. Matter of fact, it's joyful. Matter of fact, it begins to give you purpose. Matter of fact, you begin to draw off that other person because they're worthy of following. There's this submission to this passion. They're not perfect. If all leaders had to be perfect, we would have how many? Zero. That's how many we'd have. I would have been disqualified as a dad a long time ago, okay? If I had to be perfect. But there's a difference between acting perfect and your perfect desire for your, your desire, your hunger to see the best for your family. Inside of an imperfect human being. That is not only had been transformed, but is trying to be transformed through the power of Christ. A continuous. The reason why we use the letter, because I believe it's a continuous growth. The father I am today for four adult children is different than it was when they were all just living at home. But I tell you what, i got to continue to grow. Submit to the circumstances and the things that happen in my life, the things God brings us. I've got to submit to that because I am growing to be a fragrance and aroma. Not only for my children, my spouse. You've heard the saying, Man, I'd be willing to run through a wall for that, that coach. I'd take a bullet for them. Oh, what a great compliment if somebody was to say. Yeah. Uh, but what a great compliment, right? If somebody says, I, I, I'd run through a wall for them. I'd take a bullet for them. I would stake my life on their integrity. Stake my life on it. And most of us in here today, I realize if we love people, we'd be willing to lay our life down for people. If you're married, for your spouse, for your children, your grandchildren, maybe, or maybe sometimes a friend. Depends. (laughs) And maybe on occasion, a stranger. Maybe. And we don't know if you'll ever be called on to do that like many of our brothers and sisters around the world who are asked to do that. I don't know if you'll ever be called to do that, but what I can guarantee you is this. If you desire to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you will be called on to be a living sacrifice for others. And the cause of Christ. Romans 12.1. You can't get around that. I can guarantee you that. We use a term around here at renovation called. Walk in front leaders. The term comes from the phrase. He who walks in front walks closest to death. It's a military term from a. Taking a man taking point or point man. It describes that walk in front of you who usually operates in the most exposed position. And that position demands great courage for the good of others. And many times, friends, this is advancing through hostile or unsecured territory. Sometimes it's leading where there is no path. 
There's uncharted territory that you've been asked to now move into. And scriptures filled with uncommon walk-in-front leaders who have sacrificed their all for the advancement of the kingdom. And I have learned a lot as I have studied over the years, as I've watched personally many people who I would consider walk-in-front leaders, but there is none as I've studied scripture, but there is none that compares to Jesus Christ. And there's two consistent traits I believe they are there of walk-in-front leaders. The first one is this. A walk-in-front leader understands and submits or commits to the mission. They get it. Let me read a passage of Scripture for you. Most of you know it, but just... Luke 22, 39 through 46. Jesus went out. This is on the night of his betrayal. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him and being in anguish he prayed more earnestly his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground get that picture of jesus wrestling he was human i think it's sometimes we forget he was god and he was human he was wrestling where there's drops of blood he's anguishing over this but what he said was is so critical for all of us as an example I submit. I submit. He was not exempt from the weariness, but he never wavered. I think one of the challenges for many of us is is that we're not even sure what the purpose and mission of life is. I, I sometimes I've heard this, I think man, as somebody said along the way, we, we, we get confused what Jesus' purpose in our life is. We think he's there for our security, for our comfort. We think he's there for all those things. He's there for our lifestyle. And then comes this bad and terrible news. He did not say. In John 10, 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I have come that you may have a lifestyle and have it abundantly. That is not what he said. He said, I have come that you may have life. Zoe. A life you won't understand. A life you don't know how to embrace until you follow after me. You don't know. But if you're confused that you think he said that I have come that you may have a lifestyle, then you're going to be sorely saddened. (laughs) Jesus set the example 
by submitting. The Holy Spirit submits, right? The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. I mean, the Holy Spirit does what? Whatever Jesus said, that's what the Holy Spirit does. But guess what? Jesus submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to to Jesus. But guess what? They're triune. So when you start saying, well, the wife's supposed to submit to the husband's, well, this gets good. Well, it's still equal. But there's order. If you're going to, going to become a walk-in-front point man kind of person, male or female, husband or wife, teenager, college student, you don't wait till you... I heard a guy say one time, I think it's a Christian community, he says he's going to go off to college so he can get him a testimony. Well, I'll tell you what, right now, that is not the plan God has. Your testimony is God can keep me now. God can hold me through all this. He is that powerful. He has that great of a plan. He doesn't have to let me wander off over there and over there. And oh, he kept chasing me. Well, that's good because he did me for 10 years. But that's not the best plan. (laughs) It's to serve him now with a purpose and a mission today. In all your relationships and everything. Seek righteousness and holiness. Flee the evil desires of youth, as Paul writes to Timothy in Timothy 2.22. 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee those things. Pursue. Some of your first decision here today towards this, living this life today, I believe, is to stop running and commit to Christ. I think it's McManus again that says, when we run from his purpose, we run from his presence. When we run from his purpose, we run from his presence. Why do so many of you go, I wonder why I don't feel God? Well, it could be, just could be, that you're running from his purpose for you. (laughs) Our brothers and sisters around the world, whether it's in Indonesia or wherever it is today, I'll say this. They cannot afford to be partially committed to this thing. We get the luxury here in the Western world to try to just kind of work this out and maybe get to it someday, maybe when we're 60 or 70. We've had all of our fun. We've had our lifestyle or 27 or 28. No, people around the world didn't get that. Biblically, most of these people didn't get it. Read it. And I realize people who are committed and passionately committed to Christ will not act like me. They won't be as demonstrative. They won't be as out of control. <laughs> I get that. But what will never be different between me and you is, is are you committed and all in? That's what defines this. Submitting to the mission. When Jan and I prayed about coming to Arizona, I knew what God had called. It would be the call in our lives. This is 20 years ago, 1997. We were, we were praying. We'd been praying since 1996. We knew God was releasing us from Texarkana, First Church of Nazareth. We didn't know what it looked like. We'd had a chance to go to Grove City, Ohio, at the college, 
church to, to we were planning, thinking about going to Africa for two years to, to, to live there. We were praying about all this. What we knew was, what, but I'll tell you what we did, how we prayed for it, and we went through it. And I won't get in, there's a lot of great stories, I believe, at least for our lives, maybe not for you, but I, it might be someday I may share with you. But one of the things I will tell you in every one of those situations, at the end of the day, it's rested on me. But one of the reasons I believe Jan, and you can ask her, because yeah, we would, I would pray for people, pray with people and ask people to give me advice that are indirectly involved in my life, my brothers and sisters, those literally my family members and other friends. Then we prayed as, as our children would pray. We would wrestle with, we would talk. Then Jan and I would step back a little further. Then we would go pray. Then I believe I did what I was supposed to do, and I would step back a little further from fasting and praying and going at time, going away, going up to the the mountains and doing, going, God, I need to hear your voice because there's too much at stake. Where I move my children, that's probably who they're going to marry if they ever get married. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But what I'm saying is this. (laughs) What I'm saying is this. God, whatever whatever your will. But what I need to know is, I know I won't know everything. Why did I quit alcohol so many years ago? Why did I do certain things? Because my vision for my children first in my home was the number one thing. The word says it's better to have a stumbling block, I mean a millstone hung around your neck and dropped in the bottom of the ocean than to cause, your little, cause a little one to stumble. I took that serious. I took it serious. But I'm not perfect. And there are plenty of chances for me to stumble and cause them to stumble. I get that too. But man, Jan trusted me that I was going to seek the face of the Father and hear from the Spirit, hear from the Trinity. <laughs> and I believe in all my heart we did. We did say no to about four or five other things. I'm not just saying that for your... We just did. So we could say yes to the best. There was an order. Many people were excluded. We just, there was an order. And the last one's this. The second trait is walk in front leaders, serve or sacrifice for whom they are asked, who asked, whom they asked to follow them. Jesus and John, I won't read the whole thing here. Jesus, John 13, 1 through 17. Jesus comes to wash the feet of his disciples. He does it on that last night. Peter argues with him, right? And you can look this up later. John 13, 1 through 17. Peter couldn't submit. It made no sense. Have you ever been there with Jesus? You're asking me to submit right here? This makes no sense. Verse 12, he says, When he had finished washing their feet, all the disciples, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. It's on verse 12. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you lead this way. Jesus' example was one of service and sacrifice. You have to decide what's at stake on this whole concept I've shared with you over these last many months. Because if you don't believe there's anything at stake with this whole idea of committing all in to Christ and submitting and sacrificing, you will do this whole Christian thing at your convenience. That's all you will do. It's at your convenience. If you're committed, you'll do whatever it takes. Husbands, let me speak to you. Wouldn't it be great at your funeral that your children, if you have them, or your spouse would say and not meaning like this in a deity way to you but would just say you know I used to get so and so my husband and Jesus confused sometimes because that's just the way he was it's just the way he was he, he couldn't help it he didn't even try because it was such a fragrance and aroma That, that's at stake here. The trajectory of your life is at stake here. The trajectory, potentially, of your children and your marriage is at stake here. And I'll say this to wives, because again, it, the, the husbands are asked to die, but wives are asked to submit, but you've got to let them lead too. I can almost guarantee you, Jan has never, behind my back, and I'll say this, some of the greatest decisions about your life will be made behind closed doors, and you won't be in the room, by the way. Just so you know that. You will not be in the room. So it's going to depend on this, right? I I would have a hard time believing that Jan has ever tore me down behind my back. Especially to my children. Ever. Now there may be times she goes, I don't know either how to answer that. (laughs) I don't know what to do with him either. I get that. (laughs) She would never do that. Mark Batterson says, you're only one defining decision away from a totally different life. One defining decision can change your trajectory and put you on a new path towards the promised land. Again, like we said last week, it took 11 days to get Israel out of Egypt, and it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. 
And most of them never made it to the promised land. Matter of fact. One defining decision can totally change the forecast of your life. And it's those defining decisions that become the defining moments of your life. What's at stake? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's at stake. Do you not look around our culture and go, hey, that would be a good idea? Really, you don't? You may look in your home and go, that would be a really good idea. When God transforms a father, when God transforms a mother, when God transforms a teenager or a child, they have an opportunity to change their extended family. They have an opportunity to change their neighborhood or their school or their ball team or their community. Maybe even God may raise you up to have a chance to change culture. Oh, there's nothing at stake. Really? But it starts with submission to a vision of what God has for your life. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. I'm going to ask Josiah and him to come as we close. We're going to close around the communion table today. But as we do, I'm going to ask my lovely bride to come. Today we're going to visually participate as we will come here in just a minute and gather around. The table is Jesus on that last night, even when he was betrayed. He set an example. He washed the feet of the disciples as an example. Lord, it's all about a love story. From the garden to the cross, it's all about a love story. And Lord, we pray today, and as I pray for our marriage and the, and the journey of these 30 years, 
almost 32 this week. 32, thank you, Jim. No, 33, it is. Hey, it is 33. Jesus died when he was 33. (laughs) But this has been our journey right here. Full of laughter. Full of seriousness. But full of you, Lord. And Lord, I pray today as we give an example not only of the communion but of washing the feet as servants who take our role very serious that we would not want to live a life that would disappoint this one right here but most of all you Lord thank you today Lord for the examples you have set for us. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thank you, sweet. Would you stand with me? Logistically, we come down front uh, if you're able to participate as we take of the Lord's Supper today if you're not able if you just raise your hand if you're seated then someone will bring you one of the prepared cups and we also have those prepared cups here if you don't feel comfortable dipping the bread into the juice and partaking here but we just ask if you come down these aisles and return back down the middle we'd appreciate that But Lord, we know again on the night you were betrayed. You remind us of your death. But oh Lord, you remind us of the life that has been given to us through you. Lord, help us now as we prepare our hearts and our minds for this moment as we partake together as a family a body and remembrance of you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You come as feel you feel that.